Morning, church. Let's start off with a word of prayer. If you join me, Father God, I'm very aware of the fact that my words can't change anyone's life, but your words can and your Holy Spirit can. So today we just invite your Holy Spirit into our lives. Just ask that we'd be filled anew today. That God, we wouldn't walk out of this place looking exactly like we looked before, that we'd look a little bit more like you. God, would you shape us? Would you mold us? Would you convict us? Anything in us that doesn't look like you, God, we just give permission for you to just show us those things today. Make it so obvious the ways we can look more and more like you and be people of integrity that influence the world for you. In your precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, church, we've been in a series going through First Peter. And we've been looking at the promises that First Peter talks about when he's talking to a people who are in a hopeless situation and showing them how they can have hope. And last week we talked about identity, looking at First Peter chapter 2. And the first part of that, Peter's kind of giving out this identity that we have as children of God. The fact that we are chosen by God, the fact that we're accepted by God, the fact that we are valuable to God, and the fact that He's made us capable as ministers of His gospel, a royal priesthood who can serve as a bridge between the world that doesn't know Him and meeting Jesus. And today, we're going to talk about how to live in light of that identity that God's given us as children of Him. And so today we're going to talk about how we can live. And Peter is talking in the second half of chapter 2 with this underlying assumption. He's telling them, listen, in light of the fact that there are people all around you who are unbelievers, he says, be careful to live properly among them. The reason being, the underlying reason, and even some translations have said it this way, the underlying reason is people are watching you, so watch how you live. And the thing is, how, how we live is important for a big reason. As, as followers of Jesus, the actions that we take, the things that we do are very important because there are people who are watching us. We all agree with that? Everywhere we go, people are watching us at some level. They're studying us. They're learning from us. Even right now, there's people watching you. Turn to someone right now and say, listen, I'm watching you. Now, some of you say that like authoritative, like, hey, I'm watching you. Like, be careful. But some of you, I can see it in your eyes. You get a little creepy. Like, I'm watching you. I can see it. That's my people, though. I'm glad you're here. But, you know, the fact is, people all around you are watching you and learning from you. I think that the biggest example of this, uh, uh, from a a non-human standpoint, is Google. Like, have you ever noticed how Google learns a lot about you? Like, to the point where you Google something, and then a while later, there's ads that pop up that are related to that. You ever have that happen? How most of us see that? You ever have that moment where, like, you Google something you really shouldn't have? Like, all of a sudden, maybe you had a a bump that turned into a lump, and all of a sudden, you've gone all the way where you're researching, like, what this bump is. Now you know you have cancer, so now you're looking at hospice homes, and now it's two weeks later, and you're getting, like, advertisements for cancer centers and hospice homes, and you're like, Google, chill out, it's fine, okay? It was just an ingrown hair. I freaked out, I overreacted, can we move on? Like, sometimes Google is just popping stuff up, and it's like, oh yeah, I forgot, I did Google that, didn't I? Wow thing is, just like Google, just like the algorithms of all the social media sites, people are also kind of learning from you. They're learning about what's important to you. They're learning about what really matters to you. They're watching your actions, and they're starting to understand what you really believe and what really matters to you, especially in those moments that you think don't really matter. 
That, that's what I like to call integrity. Integrity is who you are when no one's looking. Integrity is the sum of the actions, the sum of who you are, when you think you're outside of the watch of people's eyes, or you're outside of earshot of others. It's who you are when you think no one else is around. Because the thing is, there's always someone watching. Whether it's our children, whether it's our neighbors, it's people around us. In those moments when we think it doesn't really matter, I think those are the moments that matter the most. That's why why Peter says in verse 12, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. See, the reality is that every day people are observing us and they're understanding what's important to us, what it means to be a follower of Jesus by how much our walk matches our talk. They're they're watching who we are And what I think is amazing about this verse is that he says that it can actually result, the way that we live our lives can actually result in people giving worship and honor to God by the way that we show them God with the way that we live our lives. See, the thing is, people all around us are looking to see if we're a bunch of hypocrites or if following Jesus actually changes something in us. Not just because they want to expose us or they want to be like, oh yeah, see, they're a bunch of hypocrites. There's people like that. That all they seem to want to do is just kind of throw rocks at other people. But I genuinely believe that there's people that watch, that watch you. If you're someone who says, listen, I, I love Jesus. If you got the Jesus bumper sticker on the back of your car, or the Jesus t-shirts, whatever that is, they, they want to know if that's just t-shirts and bumper stickers or if that's something that actually changes lives. See, I believe there are people that are... Shopping for Jesus through the window of your soul. Fact is, some of our lives may be the only Bible that some people have ever read. Our lives may be the only introduction that some people ever get to Jesus. And there's people that want to know, is what we actually say matching up with what we do, with who we are? Is it just words, but is it also actions? You know, there's an urban legend about a college that wanted to build an absolutely beautiful library. And so they brought in this amazing architectural firm. And so they, they, they designed this incredible and amazing library. It was beautiful. It had marble pillars. It had the most beautiful designs, and the angles were absolutely amazing. Everyone was just amazed by it. It became a landmark in the city. Until about a year after it opened, someone noticed something weird was going on. They noticed that the whole entire building had sunk just a couple inches. Which, hey, I mean, that happens, okay. But then a while later, another year went by, and they noticed it had sunk even more. It was about four or five more inches down, and it kept going year after year. It kept sinking and sinking and sinking until the foundation started to crack, and the building actually became condemned. The, the legend goes that the, the architectural firm that had designed this beautiful building had put all this work and effort into the designs, but the one thing they had forgotten to do was take account for the weight of the books in the building. Now, that's just a, an urban legend, but I've always found that story interesting because it's a story of a building that was absolutely beautiful on the outside, but the moment that it was supposed to do what it was designed to do, to hold books, 
all of a sudden the foundation couldn't actually hold it up. And see, the thing I often fear is that there's a lot of Christians in our world today who look really pretty on the outside. They look fantastic. They look great. They are a landmark in the community. People know they are absolutely beautiful. They look great. But then once it comes time to actually do what they were designed to do to reflect the image of God, to be a part of a royal priesthood, to live out their calling, all of a sudden their foundation isn't able to to hold up under the weight of their calling. So what Peter is talking about here is the fact that who we are below the surface matters. Our foundations matter. Our integrities matter. The fact is our integrity, much like the structure of a building, it's often below the surface. It's often the things no one else sees. It's often the boring stuff that no one really cares about until it comes to surface. In verse 15 he says, it's God's will that your honorable lives would silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Over and over in this chapter, this idea of the content of our lives matters. The content of who we are each and every day really, really matters. And these are the things that aren't glamorous, but they're essential. The things that are kind of boring, but they they really, really matter. And so I want to take a look at a few of these, of a way of how to be a person of integrity. And we're going to go through some of these that Peter talks about today. Are we guys ready? Do we want to be people of integrity? Yes. Yes? Good. Three of you. That's awesome. Let's go. So the first thing he says is this. Listen. He says, stay away from sinful desires. Once you read this with me, I'm going to have it on the screen. 1 Peter 2.11. It says this. He says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Now, there's a couple interesting things here. First of all, let's look at the first part. He says, as temporary residents and foreigners. Aliens and strangers, some other versions call it. People who are not planning on sticking around for a long time. How many of you, when you go to a hotel room, you check in and you bring your tools with you and you just start fixing stuff everywhere? Anybody do that? Nobody? Why not? Because you're not planning on staying there long term, right? It's not my, it's a hotel room. Somebody else's problem. I'm leaving in a couple days. And the same is true is what Peter's talking about is the fact that we as Christians, we understand where we're going long term, that heaven is our eternal destination. And so that should change how we live today. If we have an eternal goal rather than merely temporal goals, then it should affect our daily goals. So he he then says, then that should affect how we live our everyday lives. So he says, abstain from worldly or sinful desires. Now that's just kind of an interesting statement. He says, abstain from sinful desires. Why doesn't he say just abstain from sin? Like, just don't sin. I think the reason is because he understands human nature. The fact that every sin, every time that we fall short of the glory of God, it starts with a desire. Every time I've ever messed up in my life, I didn't just wake up and sin. I didn't just wake up and go, okay. You know, there, there, there's no one in this world that just wakes up and says, listen, I'm, I'm going to go embezzle from my company today. Uh, I, I'm going to go cheat on my spouse today. It, it, the fact is, every person that has a major falling, it starts with a desire way back here. 
It starts with a little thought way back here, a little thing I want. I just want a little more of this, or I wish my spouse was more like this. It starts back here, and it slowly grows. That's why Peter is saying, run away from even the desires that tempt you. So I think what Peter's trying to say here is, listen, if something tempts you, if something's trying to draw you away from God, get away from it. If there's something that it has stuff that isn't close to God or drawing you closer to God, get away from it. Turn off the TV. Get out of that conversation. People of integrity are the ones who understand that even the little things matter in their life. They don't try to justify it or excuse it. They understand the old phrase, if you don't want to get burned, you don't play with. Have you ever noticed, though, I've, there's just a lot of Christians who are kind of like spiritual pyromaniacs. Like, they just kind of want to get as close as they can to the fire. You know, you hear people ask questions like that. Like, well, how much, how close can I get to the line? How many times can I sin before God's, you know, maybe going to have really serious consequences? How, how many times can I get forgiveness? How, how, how close can I get without actually getting burned seriously? Peter's saying instead, run away from the fire. Don't play with it. You know, I have to wonder, how many of us today woke up and felt like you were just at war? Anybody feel like that? A couple of you, I'm glad. Because the fact is we are at war. Now maybe, maybe some of you felt like you were at war because you're trying to get kids here in the morning. I know it feels like that. But the thing is, each and every one of you, each and every day, are at war. He says here, these sinful desires that wage war... Against your very souls. We often think that sin is random. Like, man, it just happened. We hear sometimes when people do things that are outside of God's will, that have these major moments, they'll say, I don't know what happened. Fact is, sin is never random. We, we serve an amazing and incredible God. There is a God that loves you and has a plan for your life, and there's also a devil that hates you and has a different plan for your life. And he is trying everything he can to draw you away from God, to draw you away piece by piece as much as he can. I know many of you have served in the military. And as I've talked with people who've been in the military, I often hear this common thing come up. I remember one of my first kind of people in my peer group when I was growing up, they actually went off to war. He went to Iraq. And he came back and he's telling us these stories and there were some horrible things that had happened and he didn't really get into those, but he he did tell this one story I found interesting. He was talking about the fact that when you're you're walking around on patrol and you're in a position where you might be getting suddenly shot at, you're you're constantly listening, you're constantly evaluating your surroundings to make sure that nothing is coming to bring you danger. And he said, you know, an interesting thing, and I didn't know this at the time, he said, when you get shot at with a, a hypersonic round, basically any round that goes faster than the speed of sound, you won't actually hear the boom from the rifle. The first thing you're going to hear if something shoots at you is you're going to hear a crack, which is the sound of that bullet breaking the sound barrier by your head barrier, which sounds very, very unsettling. And he said there was, there was days where they'd go out and suddenly someone would just step on a stick and they'd hear a crack and all of a sudden, like everything in their body tightens up and... They're suddenly adrenaline's pumping and they're ready to kill just because somebody stepped on a stick. 
That's kind of what you see whenever you talk to people who have been in that situation, that the rustling of a leaf, the cracking of a stick, can suddenly send them into overdrive, ready to destroy anything that might be coming to harm them. And see, I think that's what Peter's, that metaphor that Peter's using is being the kind of people who understand that you're at war. So when a, a stick cracks in your spiritual life, when there's a leaf rustling, you're ready to kill it and crucify it. The Bible says we're supposed to crucify our flesh. We're supposed to kill anything that doesn't look like Jesus. But so often what I find in my life is instead of being on hyper alert, anything that could even get close, anything that's trying to slither in, any temptation, anything that's not of God, anything I'm looking at, any, any emotion that isn't of Him, any grudge that I'm holding, any gossip that's starting to come out of my mouth, instead of looking for anything and trying to kill it, I can often be, instead of a warrior, I can often be that first person to die in a horror movie. Y'all know who I'm talking about, the first person to die in a horror movie? Like, they're sitting there, and the radio tells them there's a crazy killer in the woods, and they hear noise, and what do they do? They go outside! Or they're driving down the road, and they're like, hey, that hitchhiker has a chainsaw, let's pick him up! What are you doing? But so often, I feel like we do that in our own lives. So often, we don't understand that there's things that are trying to slither their way into our life, and instead of looking like a psycho killer with a chainsaw, sometimes it's not quite as obvious. Sometimes the attacks of the devil are actually a slow fade, a slow infiltration of things trying to get their way into our life. And unfortunately, what can happen in our life is we can all get caught up in culture. We all can get to a place where the things around us start to be, start to feel normal. We start to get comfortable with it. That stick cracking and leaf rustling doesn't make us jump into action just like it used to. Instead, it starts to be something that we justify. You say, ah, it's not that bad. Ah, it's just a little bit of this. Yeah, I know that show has some stuff in it. It kind of makes my mind kind of wander. But yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, I I know this, this relationship probably isn't the most honoring to God, but you know, hey, you know, it's not that big a deal. See, unfortunately, when we start to get comfortable with things, we start to get seduced and start slowly caving into it. There's a study done by some very, very weird people where they actually studied frogs. And they, they took a frog and they dropped them in boiling water. Once again, weird people. And so they dropped the frog in boiling water. And can anybody guess what the frog does when he's dropped in boiling water? He, okay, somebody said dies. He actually, he, he, depending on how deep it is, he actually jumps out because he doesn't want to die. And so the first thing he does is he goes, nope, I'm out of here. But, once again, it's a very weird study. They, they took a frog and they put it in room temperature water and it was chilling in the water. And then they slowly turned up the heat of the water, eventually to the point where it was boiling, but they slowly turned it up bit by bit, just one change in temperature at a time. And what they found is that frog will get used to every single change in temperature and will actually get to the point where it boils alive and doesn't even know it's dying. Like, you don't get used to every little change of thing and then suddenly not even realize that what it's surrounding it is actually killing it. I've had some moments like that in my life where I just realized I am getting more and more comfortable with some of these things in my life and I didn't even realize what's around me is actually killing me. 
It's killing my soul. It's killing my relationship with God. I had that a while back where I realized, this was a few years ago, where suddenly I realized that pornography was going to ruin my life. Because I was, I was justifying, well, it's not that bad, or it's just every now and then I fall. I'm doing better than I used to. And suddenly I realized, I, I, God just kind of woke me up one day and said, no, this is going to kill you. This is going to kill your marriage. It's going to kill your ability to be a minister. It's going to kill all these things. You keep justifying and playing with it, but it is not acceptable. You need to kill this right now. You are at war, Tim. And my hope and my prayer for all of us is that we would be the kind of people, if we want to serve Jesus in our life, we'd be the kind of people that understand that we're at war, understand that there's desires that are trying to draw us away from God and draw us to things that are not like Him. Let's pray. God, I just, I just want to lift us up right now. And I just, I just really quickly just want to just say, God, please help us to look more and more like you. And so God, if there's anyone in this place today that needs a reminder of that, including myself, would you just remind us, God? Convict us. In your name we pray. Amen. The second thing, it's really important here to, that Peter talks about, is the idea of submitting to authority. Submitting to authority. Let's look at, let's look at what it says in verses 13 through 15. He says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. It's interesting. He talks about honorable lives and it's connected to how we honor and submit to authority. Which is interesting because I've had this moment as I read this verse where I'm like, there's got to be another translation. There's thousands of English translations out there. I have looked and scoured and looked again. I've looked at the Passion Translation, the Message Translation, to try to find one that, that says something different than all human authority. Maybe says something like some human authority. Or like the ones that I like. You know, because I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe you guys are probably all good, but sometimes I have issues with authority. Like people that are putting authority over me, people that, you know, serve in higher offices above me, sometimes I don't always do that well. And I think that the, one of the biggest ways your integrity is tested is how you respond to authority, whether it's people in government, people in law enforcement, your boss, spiritual authorities that are put over you, any authority figure in your life, how you handle them reveals a lot about your maturity. Because the fact is, we live in a world that says that submission is a sign of weakness. And then Jesus comes into the picture and says, no, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. Just as I have washed your feet, so you must wash one another's feet. And the fact is, we see here that yielding is a sign of self-control. It says to the world around me that I feel good enough about myself that I don't always have to have my way. I have noticed in my life that insecure people always have to have their way. Like an insecure person is the kind of person that they always got to have things their way. I have noticed in my life the biggest times where I was like, you know, pounding my fist in my marriage where I'm like, this has got to be this way. No, no way I'm compromising on this. I often find it's a moment where I'm insecure about something. See, people all around us are watching to see how we respond to authority how we talk about authority, how we love and respect authority. And as we start to submit to God's authority, it says in Ephesians 5.21 that we'll start to submit one to another. And then 
verse 17, he says this, Respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God and respect the king. If you're reading out of different translations, you may see fear God and honor the emperor. But there's a couple things I want to look at here. First, he says to show respect to everyone. Now, does everyone deserve respect? Not everyone deserves respect. Let's just be honest. There are some people out there and around you who don't necessarily deserve respect, but we're still called to show them respect because we serve a God that loves us. We show them respect because the Lord has allowed us to be in their life and allowed them to lead over us. The thing is, prejudice is something that's completely inconceivable in the life of a believer. Oftentimes we try to decide who gets respect, and oftentimes the people that we respect are the people that look like us whether that's economically, socially, whatever that is. And so often we forget that God has called us to respect everyone. The second thing he says is to love the family. The fact is, we are a family as a part of God's body in the church. And there are moments, just like a real family, where we don't always get along. We don't always like each other. There will be moments where we don't always get along completely. But we're called to love each other. We're called to draw closer and closer together by drawing closer and closer to God. That's why Jesus says, if you have a problem with someone in the church, you're called to go talk to them about it. That doesn't work. You go back with a couple people, and eventually you get elders and other people involved. But ultimately, we got to do something about it. can't just let things fester. If there's ever an issue where you, you're, you're having an issue with someone in the church, man, the devil loves that. He loves to create division. He loves to have moments where he can get his toehold in by having gossip going on and people going at each other's throats. The third thing in this he says is to fear God and honor the emperor, honor the king. Now I like this that these two are, are, are coming together because first he says fear God. That's the most important thing. If I fear God, it doesn't matter anything else that's going on around me. So people talk about, well, what if a, a president tells us we need to do this? Or that we can't be, you know, we can't be Christians or we can't serve God. Ultimately, I fear God more than I fear any man. That's the, that's the highest thing. But then the second thing he says is to honor the emperor, honor the king. And I find this one interesting. He's talking about the highest authority of that day, which was likely the emperor Nero. And I know there's some people who sometimes look at certain people in office, like maybe a president, and say, man, they're just so far from God. And sometimes I can think about that and I can be like, you know, surely this verse isn't talking about like our president or our king, our, our, our leader at this time. And then you actually go look at who Nero was and you're like, oh, I guess, yeah, I guess he hasn't, uh, set anyone on fire recently or thrown anyone to lions or burned an entire city and blame me for it. Like there, there's, a, there's a lot of things that even the worst leaders I see today don't actually do. Fact is I'm called to honor those positions. And even pray for them. It's something, something that's so, I think is so important for, for Christians to do. Is pray for those positions of authority over you. Whether it's a president, a senator, governor. And pray for the position. Maybe you don't necessarily honor the personality. But honor the position that they have. And pray for both the personality and the position. You know, whether maybe if your parents. You know, I can honor my parents. Even if I don't like things that they do. I can honor governors and mayors and whoever, even if I don't agree with what they do, and I can ultimately pray for them, I can honor my president even if I don't like him. See, one of the things I have often struggled with is that 
when it comes to people in authority, especially, I'll just use the president, for example. I, I, I remember when I first got into social media, man, I got really, really, really into just like memes. Anybody like memes? You know, funny little pictures and make little jokes. There's a lot of those, man, you can find that are political. And they are funny. Goodness gracious. And there's some funny, funny stuff out there. And it's really, really easy to get in this place where you just start mocking this other side, whoever it is. And you get to this place, you start getting comfortable. And you're like, man, God's called me to honor them. Am I honoring them by doing this? You know, I, 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 I've, there, there's a, every side has different issues on this. But, you know, I, I find it interesting. You know, if we're really called to honor as Christians, it was amazing to me how many Christians... When a certain president, we won't name any names, but a certain president, maybe they, these these particular Christians didn't like the way he was handling a certain pandemic, and then he got infected with that same pandemic that they said he wasn't handling well. Boy, there were a lot of Christians not honoring. Like the, some of the jokes they were making were not good at all. And you're like, man, we're supposed to be honoring our leaders. And then, then there was another president, once again, I'm not naming names, but when, there was another president who, who maybe some, some Christians felt like, man... He's not fit to, to serve an office. He's not mentally all the way there. And then he tripped up the stairs on national TV. Boy, there were some, there were some things that were said and some things even in my heart. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm gonna, I, I need to pray for him. I need to honor him. I need to love him. Pray that God will continue to work in him. Maybe give him some better balance, but ultimately just pray for him. How we, Honor our authority, whether it's the way you talk about your boss, the way you talk about your president, the way you are. That is a huge, huge thing that shows the world. Because the fact is, we live in a world where it's common to throw stones at people who are in authority. And when you're sitting at work, you're sitting around the water cooler and people start going, yeah, boss, man, he is such a stinking idiot. Are you going to walk away from that? Or are you just going to join into it? When people around you start grumbling about those in authority, are we the kind of people that stand out from the crowd or we look just like everyone else. That's what integrity does. It makes us stand out. The third thing is this, that we trust in the face of suffering. The Bible is clear. We will face suffering in life. We will even face persecution. We will face things in life that that come against us that are not good. The question then is, who's bigger in those moments, my troubles or my God? Do I go and tell God about my troubles or do I tell my troubles about how big my God is? Just like we sang a little bit ago. I'll raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm because my God is bigger. I mean, ultimately, in our country, I have noticed that, that we, we don't quite understand suffering yet. Like when Peter's talking, he's talking to people who really understand suffering. Sometimes in our world... I have noticed that, you know, when, like, the Wi-Fi is out, I think that's suffering. Like, when the AC goes out and it's hot outside, man, that, that can feel like suffering to me. When the fact is, we don't have any idea what real suffering is. But the thing is, the greatest test of all in our life is how we respond to suffering. The greatest litmus test of who we are as Christians is in the midst of things going wrong. This past weekend, someone who I just deeply respect, a pastor who I I just really, really look up to, he preached a funeral for his wife, 
who got a diagnosis of cancer just a couple months ago, and just in a couple months she's gone. And I was talking to him at the visitation. We were kind of hanging out and hugging each other. And what I, what I was amazed by, I didn't expect anything less. I, I knew this was how it was going to be. But what was amazing to me was his attitude in the midst of it all. I noticed, first of all, he's ministering to everybody else. Everybody, He's, he's kind of loving on everybody else and, and praying for them and helping them through this. But then there was a moment we kind of got alone. And I said, how are you doing, like, really? He said, you know, I still got my moments. I, 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 still, I still cry. I still have my moments, breakdown. That's, that's normal. But he said, you know, these past couple months of this cancer journey, he said, I have never felt closer to God than I did in that time. Because I had nothing else to run to. The question in our life is, when things go wrong in our life, who are we running to? Because the fact is, when things go wrong and you run to God, there truly is a closeness to God that is absolutely incredible. I've noticed this as well when I face death and loss in my life. It's in those moments when I run to Him, there really is something. Like there's just nothing else but you and Him because you're relying completely and totally on Him. The fact is, as long as we live on this earth, we will experience suffering and pain at times. We're going to have problems, as Jesus said, but take heart, I have overcome the world, He says. But then if we look at 1 Peter 2 and verses 21 through 25, he says this, For God called you to, to, to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. Okay, so this is our example. Are we ready? He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sin in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. I love that example. He says, so just as Jesus did, in the same way, you face sufferings in the same way. We look at what Jesus did. He didn't fight back. He didn't hurl stones. He didn't attack or react or stab people back. In fact, Jesus let the Father defend him. Jesus' motto always seemed to be, I'm, I'm just passing through. I'm, I'm, this isn't my eternal home. My eternal home is waiting for me. Fact is, God will eventually settle the score. He'll balance the books. So the question is, do I do the same? Do I entrust myself to God, or do I entrust myself to myself? When things go wrong in my life, and the stones get hurled, am I picking them back up and sending them back at them, or am I letting God handle it? There's a reason that God says in His Word, "Vengeance is mine," saith the Lord. Because he says, listen, you can't handle that. That's for me. Judgment is for me. It wasn't meant for you. Because when you do it, bad things happen. When you do it, it doesn't end well. Let it be mine, says the Lord. A question that came to mind as I was preparing this message is, when's the last time that I had an injustice happen to me, and instead of whining about it or trying to retaliate, I just kept my mouth shut? Like, when's the last time that something has happened in my life that, that 
went, went against how I felt things should happen. And I just said, you know what, God, I'm just going to give this over to you. I'm not even going to say, I'm not even going to say anything. I'm not even going to make a, make a comment or anything. I'm just going to shut up. Cause I find myself, even in the moments when like, I'm saying, you know what, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to move on. I can find myself, I still got to tell someone. I still got to say something. Question is, in those moments when things go wrong in our life, when people wrong us, when people hurt us, when they offend us, when they say mean, terrible things about us that are untrue, when they, when they do things to us that we don't deserve, who are people going to see? Are they going to see Jesus or are they going to see someone else? Are they going to see someone who is responding and, and bringing vengeance? Are they going to see Batman? Because the fact is we weren't called to be the people who go out and bring about our, our, our vengeance. We're the people who are called to show Jesus to the world. See, in our life, people are watching us. They're watching our example. They're watching how we act each and every day. And they're asking the question, what is it that they actually believe? They're looking at these areas of our life. I mean, how, how do we respond to temptation? How, how is it that we respond to authority? Do we honor authority? Do we honor people? Are we praying for those in authority? Are we trying to tear them down just like everybody else? How, how are we responding in moments of suffering? Are we, are we only, are we fair weather Christians who are only good as long as it's not raining, but the moment that it, the rain comes down, we're like, forget this. How, what, what is it that people see when they look at our lives? The fact is, if there's something in here today that convicts you, I just want to be clear. You know, we talked about this earlier in the year if you were around for our Holy Spirit series. The fact that God never called you to be perfect. He called you to be made perfect by His Holy Spirit. He called you to allow His Holy Spirit to work in you. We talked about the fact that, that the fruit of the Spirit is not a checklist for Christians or, or a goals list to say, okay, I need more patience, I need more love. But in fact, that's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of good Christians who show up to church every week. It's the fruit of God working in your life. The question is, are we allowing Him? Are we not trying to, to stifle the Spirit, but instead allowing Him to lead us in our lives? Because if we do, the Holy Spirit will start to rewrite a new story for you. No matter what your story looks like, you know, there's a story of someone by the name of Alfred Nobel. And Alfred Nobel had this really, really weird out-of-body experience one morning. He woke up, he opened up the paper, and he read an obituary, and it was his obituary. Unfortunately, his brother had passed away, and the paper had made a mistake, and instead thought it was him, and had written his obituary in the paper, and he read these words about himself. He said, Alfred Nobel was the inventor of dynamite. He was a manufacturer of weapons. He was a merchant of death. He was suddenly overwhelmed that that was the summary of his life. That in his obituary, that's what people were saying about him. He was a merchant of death, inventor of dynamite. He was so moved by that that he decided, you know what, I'm going to rewrite my story. And the fact is, very few people know him as the inventor of dynamite. Many more people know him as the inventor of the Nobel Peace Prize. This prize that went out to help people and support people who were trying to create peace. And suddenly he decided to change everything in his life to be oriented towards helping those who were actually doing good in the world. 
just like Alfred, the fact is it's never too late for God to rewrite your story. If you look all throughout the Bible, the Bible is full of rewritten stories. People with scribbled pages that didn't make any sense that God took and made into a masterpiece. And no matter how far we've gone, how many moments we feel like, man, I just don't quite look like Jesus in this area. No matter how many moments that we just feel like, man, this, this, I just can't do this anymore. We serve a God that loves to make stories anew. So I want to invite you today that as we bow our heads, if there's anyone in this place today who is just feeling like, God, I, I just want to have more of you. I want to have a life that truly has integrity. And I see some areas that don't look like that. I, I just ask that you join me just in saying, God, you take everything. If there's anything in us that we're being convicted of today, we need to look more like you. Would you not only give us the conviction, but give us the means and ability to live that out in our life? Continue to show us those ways that we don't look like you yet. And God, if there's anyone in this place today or watching who has never started a relationship with you, who wants to truly have that relationship that changes everything, God, I pray that they would join me right now in saying, Father, you take everything. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I repent of them now in the name of Jesus and ask you to come into my heart and take it all. God, we are so grateful for who you are and how you're working today. And we just ask that we would truly be a people who are different than the world, who live with integrity, who honor those in authority over us, who wage war against the sinful desires in our life. And are truly the kind of people that no matter what thing we're going through, we're always praising you. God, you are awesome, amazing, and incredible. And all together we say, Amen.